It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Pete. Get that cabbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 858 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, January the 5th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. And, of course, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast providers, as well as on Twitter, at WoodleySean. Please subscribe to, rate, review, tell a friend about the podcast as well. It's always very much appreciated when you help spread the good word that uh, the show exists and that it is good and that you like it and that your friends should listen to it. So thank you in advance for taking the time to do all those wonderful things we ask you to do. All right, on today's show, boy, it's going to be a despair fest for sure. The Raptors are now 1-5 after a 126-114 loss to the Boston Celtics in a rematch of the second round of the playoffs last year. Not as close as that series was for the Raptors in this one against the Celtics after a very promising first quarter in which they scored 32 points, in which they I think they started out 4-5 of five from 3, in which Pascal Siakam hit a couple of threes to start, and everything looked beautiful. Things really fell off the tracks in the second quarter in particular. Jason Tatum goes off. He finishes the night with 40 points, and the Raptors lose the second quarter 38-14, and they lose the game 126-114. Things are bad. This is not good. This is not... Like, I know I typically try to come to this with a very uh, positive lean. It's hard not to have a positive lean after seven years of the Raptors always superseding expectations always being relevant and good and competent and hard playing and all of those things it's just it's been what life has been since 2013 
And maybe it's going to be a bit of a slow process to accept that that's no longer life anymore. I think there's still a lot that can be improved with this team. But at the moment, it's looking really dark. They are the tied for the worst team in the league right now with the Detroit Pistons. Shout out to Dwayne Casey and Nick Nurse. Friends again at the bottom of the standings in the Cade Cunningham sweepstakes. Um, you know, I've got, I've got questions, listener questions about the situation in the draft and the draft lottery odds and all that stuff. It's getting out of hand. And it's way too early to be having these sort of grand takes about the end of the Raptors and trading Kyle Lowry and all this stuff. But we're not far off from maybe just kind of being faced with the reality. This is not a good team, and maybe it's not going to be what we thought it would be to start the season. I still think there's a lot, like I said, to be improved. I don't think they can possibly be this bad, and I really don't understand the drop-off that we've seen from what was a 60-win pro-rated team last year to what is currently the worst team in the NBA with one of the worst offenses in the league with a defense that took a big hit in the game against the Celtics as well. I just I don't see how the drop-off can be this severe. Yes, Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka were excellent, wonderful players, giving the Raptors 48 minutes of good, solid, reliable center play, except for the bubble where Gasol was kind of a, a washed version of, of himself. You know, those guys, I guess, spoiled Raptors fans and the Raptors team with what they provided because uh, apparently their departure signals the end of an era of competitiveness. I don't know. I don't think that's the case. I, I, I just don't see how one or two departures, as good as those guys were, they were like the fourth and fifth best players on the team probably. I, I just don't see how those guys leaving with the replacements coming in could be the sole culprit for why things have gone so awry so far this season. There's just a lot of other things going on that are not tied to that Gasol-Baka thing, and we're going to dive into them today. On today's show, we're basically going to assemble a power ranking, let's call it a power stanking of all the reasons why I think the Raptors are in their current predicament at 1-5 and five, and looking very much like a team that's going to be on the outside of the play-in, let alone in the playoffs, and again, it's early, plenty of things can change, but there are at least six reasons that I've come up with for why things have been so drastically terrible early on. In the final segment, I'll get to a couple listener questions as well. Um, surely just coded in despair and uh, sadness as well, so we'll get to that, but uh, the first two segments we'll devote to assembling this power stanking of all the reasons why the Raptors are currently one of the worst teams in the league, and more alarmingly, just like an absolute drag to watch play basketball. This is a team that has been so damn fun for a long time. Really, the last time the Raptors weren't a fun team to watch was like 2014-15, when they really sort of went through the motions on their way to getting swept in the postseason. Since then, they have been a ton of fun. Yeah, I think in the 16-17 season before they made the deadline moves for P.J. Tucker and Serge Ibaka, they went through a bit of a period too where it was a bit of a lull and it looked kind of crappy and, you know, Patrick Patterson was hurt and that like exposed a ton of problems with the team for some reason. Um, that was a thing, but this is what we saw against the Celtics. That Celtics game is gotta be the most depressing Raptors game I've watched in probably like nine years, I think, the, or ten years, really. I think the last time a Raptors game got me that blue, just watching it unfold, knowing there was no hope, watching the, the body language and just the feeling around the game 
I think was probably back, and I've told this story before on the podcast, in the 2010-11 season, the first season after Chris Bosh left, I came home from Ottawa to go to the second game of that season in the post-Bosh era against the post-LeBron Cavs, and it was such a dark experience and such a waste of my time and gas mileage that I stopped watching the team for like two years. That's not going to happen this time around. Things are far less depressing. There's a lot more to build with on this team than there was in 2010-11. But that's the depths to which the Raptors' viewing experience fell against the Celtics last night. So let's dive into the reasons why things are so crappy right now. Number one in the power stanking of reasons why the Raptors stink is, look, it's the simplest explanation, and maybe it feels like a cop-out, maybe it's excuse-making, I don't know. But clearly, playing in Tampa Bay and not being at home, living out of a suitcase, and the stress that has come with relocating to a new city and country is playing a very big part in just the general dour mood around the team. It just it seems undeniable. Fred Van Vliet spoke last night. He was asked about the Tampa factor, and he said he's worried about his teammates' mental health. And this is coming from a guy in Fred who, of all the players on the team, is probably going through the most right now. He has a young family. He has two kids, and I don't know what the situation is with whose families are there in Tampa or not, but if you are someone with kids, there's really no win here. Because you're either taking your kids out of school in the city where they typically would live in Toronto or whatever it might be, the off-season home, whether it's Rockford, Illinois, whatever it might be. Fred's kids might not be in school yet. They're quite young. But still, there's the decision of, do I relocate my entire family to Tampa Bay for six months? Or do I just go solo and, and not have my family with me? Or do I go and wait and see and test to lay the land first and then bring my family? You know, Fred Van Vliet's certainly going through this. Kyle Lowry has two older kids who are actually in school, and so it's probably even a bigger thing for him. Again, I don't know whose families are there and whatnot, but there's just no way that the upheaval of moving your family to a city in which you do not play normally or live normally, and you've never played a game in before, considering it's not an NBA city to begin with, I just don't see how that's not an absolute drag on your energy, on your emotions, on your mental health, and I think... In discussing this team, in getting you know deep into the other problems, which I'll get into, you have to keep the Tampa thing top of mind. You know, I think we went into this season assuming, oh well, the Raptors are crazy resilient. You know, they've been this team that battles back. They have this underdog, scrappy spirit. If any team can get through the Tampa thing, they like the Raptors can, of course. But I think that probably underestimated the mental toll of what this experience is going to be and living out of an Airbnb or a hotel or whatever it might be like even the guys who don't have kids it's got to be a difficult situation I mean Aaron Baines moves to Tampa to play this season and has a kid right away it's just there's a lot going on and if this were a situation where they're in Toronto a I think they probably still have Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol frankly I think the Tampa thing probably was a very big reason why they didn't want to really stick around for a year why would you want to go play out of a suitcase in a city you don't like when part of the appeal for playing for the Raptors is actually being in Toronto places a place that both of those guys said they love so much and so you know that obviously the, the, the Tampa thing is undeniably the number one reason I you know it's just all the other stuff the explanations that don't quite add up to 60 win team goes to lottery team over the course of two months like it, it just doesn't connect and so what's the new factor what's the new element at play here it is the tampa bay thing and it's the pandemic and to me 
there's no bigger explanation for why the Raptors stink right now than what is surely a very, very difficult situation for all these guys. And I just hope they're getting all the resources they need. I hope they, the Raptors and the NBA are paying out of their asses to ensure the mental health of these guys is taken care of. Because if Fred Van Vliet's saying it in a press conference, there's got to be something going on there to uh, inform and you know cause that smoke. And so that's number one. If we're going on to number two in the power stankings, it's got to be... You know, I think some people will jump to say, oh, it's Pascal Siakam. It's Pascal Siakam. Siakam's going to come up. Don't worry. He's going to come up in the second segment. But for now, I think the bigger concern than Pascal and really the biggest concern with the team's construction is, you know, we talked about the 48 solid minutes of center play the Raptors were getting from Ibaka and Gasol. Had Aaron Baines come in and been pretty serviceable for 22 minutes a game and you get some fun bursts from Chris Boucher and you cobble together 28 to 30 minutes of good center play, I don't think things are this dire, but they've gotten literally zero minutes of good center play in a lot of these games. The game against the Celtics was a nightmare. Yes, Boucher scored reasonably well. He had nine points. You know, he did his thing off the bench. He had some energy, did some fun things. But for the most part, he was a nightmare because he wasn't big enough to handle two bigs in the front court in Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson and Robert Williams when he came in. You know, Williams gave the Raptors problems when they had Ibaka and Gasol, and now they have these, you know, just tall tree fellows just standing there not doing a whole bunch of anything, and it was even more of a problem. You know, it's just Aaron Baines last night, 0-5 from the field, zero points, four boards. He just looks completely out of it and looks like the backup center he's been his entire career before that one burst in Phoenix where he was really good on a team that eventually had its greatest success when he was hurt and not available during the bubble when he had COVID and so maybe the expectations were a little bit too high on Baines I still think there's room for growth there I think Baines will get accustomed to the defense he will figure out his positioning and things like that hopefully he starts shooting more threes because that was the whole thing with Baines is this guy will fire away threes with reckless abandon it'll be a breath of fresh air after Marcus all pump faked and passed out of threes five times a game when he was with the Raptors Baines shot zero threes last night he shot one three in the game against the Pelicans on Saturday I don't know if he's hit a three since like the first game of the season He's just not doing it. He's rolling pretty much every time he sets a screen. And when he does that, he can't catch a pass from anybody. He's just punching the ball out of bounds. He's just like a boxer who is really, really good at punching the ball square on. It's just, it's, he's been an absolute zero so far. And you can't have that when you have lost Gasol and Ibaka. You need at least some semblance of replacement production. And Baines has not offered it. Alex Lenz had some moments. I think he's been pretty clearly the best center on the team so far this year, but he was bad last night, just nine minutes, zero points, uh, 0 of 1 from the field, just two boards, and he looked terrible in rim protection. I mean, look, a lot of the problems against the Celtics were Jason Tatum is ridiculous and was hitting some ridiculous shots in the process of, of you know carving up the Raptors. I, I thought the defense... Before things really kind of slipped away in the third quarter, I thought the first half defense was pretty good. It just, there was some very good shot making. The fouling is obviously an issue. The Raptors ended up giving up 34 free throws in this game. They got to the line themselves 34 times, which was a nice, or sorry, 38 times, which was a nice change of pace, I guess, from what we've seen from the team so far this year. But, you know, they're, they're fouling a lot. They're giving up a ton of free throws. And, the, the center rotation, to me, is the biggest culprit for that, too. It's just they are at a position. They're not Marcus All. They're not Serge Ibaka, even, who's not even that great of a defender at this point in his career. But the way that these guys are at a position, they're slow, they're lumbering, they're not really 
carving out space. They're not doing the verticality thing. And on the rebounding side of things, they're miserable. They're the worst rebounding team in the NBA. They got torched on the boards last night. The total of 56-37 on the glass. It's just, it's very, very bad right now. They are the worst rebounding team in the league at 45.5% of rebounds grabbed when on the floor. It's just, you can't have all of these things going downhill because you take what was a very good fundamental, you know, foundationally strong team last year, and all these little things start to slip, you know, one by one, and then all of a sudden you're one in five, and you look like one of the worst teams in the league. It's just, I don't know, the centers have been super disappointing, really, really lackluster, and I don't really know how to reconcile it. Will there be a fix to it? I don't know. Like, they've been that bad. They have to be better? There's no way they're this bad all the time. There's no way that these are, like, two of the worst centers in the league. But I think it's pretty clear Chris Boucher is not helping much in the center department. He's a good forward. You know, Nick Nurse talked about that. He's probably more suited to the four. We've talked about that a lot on this show. He's probably more a four than a five, and that's okay. But when it comes to Baines and Len, I mean, they can't be this bad, but maybe they are. Maybe they're just career journeyman backups, and that's what they are. And the drop-off from what they had before to what they have now is so stark that it's ruined everything. I don't know. I I still think the infrastructure should be good around those guys, but that leads me to the next problem for this team, which is a lot to do with the infrastructure around these guys and the the team in place around the centers that are not making things any easier on them. We'll get to that in just a second, but first I want to tell everybody about our friends at betonline.ag. If you want to bet money on the Raptors to lose basketball games so you can at least win some money while you're steeping yourself in pain, you should go to betonline.ag. It's a wonderful site, uh, and right now when you sign up at betonline.ag for a free account, you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code LOCKEDON, which means if you put in $100, bucks, you are going to get 150 bucks to play with. That's a pretty damn good deal. Again, you can bet on a ton of things. You can hedge your emotions and bet on the Raptors to lose. You can parlay a bunch of NBA games. You can bet on NFL playoff games this weekend, whatever it might be. Tons of stuff for you to throw money down on. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so uh, just a reminder before we carry on, if you're an NHL fan, go listen to Locked on NHL. Uh, At the moment, we have our North Division preview, the Canadian Civil War inciting division uh, with all seven Canadian teams covered by the local hosts. Go give that a listen. All week long, we will have NHL preview specials ahead of the January 13th puck drop. So go and listen over on Locked on NHL. Okay, 
Let's continue the power stankings, shall we? We've got number one, Tampa Bay, and the general sad energy around it. Number two, the center rotation. All bad. Rebounding sucks. Rim protection sucks. We go on to number three. You might think I'm going to go Pascal Siakam here again, but I'm not. I think the number three issue here, and this was a source of a lot of conversation from Nick Nurse last night, both before and after the game, the bench guards and wings... You know, I think coming into the season, there was a reasonable expectation that a couple of these guys were going to hit. I think there was an expectation that Norman Powell would continue his really positive showing last season, his tangible improvement in finishing around the rim, his 40% three-point shooting had been here to stay for two years now. It felt like Norman Powell was set to really become a six-man-of-the-year type guy who could carry the offense for the Raptors when he was in with second units, maybe paired with a point guard. Uh, you know, like Kyle or Fred, or maybe pair with Malachi Flynn if he was going to get some run, whatever it might be, that has not happened. He has been an absolute zero. He is making just wild-ass decisions, man. Just the passes he's making, the shots he's trying to put up, the lack of shot clock recognition, it's just been a masterclass in poor basketball decision-making from Norm Powell through five, six games so far. And then beyond him, and Powell was really just one of the few steady you know, knowable quantities on that bench. And the thought was, okay, some of these other guys will pop, whether it's DeAndre Bembry or Matt Thomas or, um, you know, Chris Boucher, whatever it might be. Boucher is not a guard. I should leave him out of this conversation. He's been fine. He's been really good. He's been the sixth man for the, for the, for the Raptors so far this year. But then you have, you know, Redacted. You have uh, Malachi Flynn. You got just a bunch of dudes on the wings, Stanley Johnson, who were getting run, and all of them are kind of bad. <laughs> There's not much you could do about it. I mean... I don't think that DeAndre Bembry is deserving of being benched compared to what the, what else the Raptors are running out there, and it felt like a premature sort of move to the doghouse for him with Nick Nurse. I get why he's upset with the defense of Matt Thomas and Terrence Davis. I mean, Davis has been absolutely miserable when he's played. He had a nice dunk last night. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was pretty awful and kind of single-handedly derailed, which was, what was a fun kind of ill-fated but pretty entertaining almost comeback last night with an insane foul on Peyton Pritchard over the shoulder, like doing the shoulder tap thing for some reason on a three-point shot. Just very, very whack, uh, bad decision-making and defense from Davis, which is a thing that Nurse has been quite upset about. He's been basically setting fire to the entire bench rotation in every post and pregame for the last like week now. He last night talked about Malachi Flynn, who finally played last night. That was wonderful to see in the first quarter even. He was the first sub in, and he didn't really do much. He was basically club trillion for a while until garbage time, and he... You know, it was talked about after the game by Nurse as much. You know, yeah, he was fine, but he didn't do anything on the floor, which, hey, you can't argue with that. It's fair. It's pretty blunt, but it's fair. And he also noted that, you know, between Davis and Matt Thomas and the rest of the crew, they're just not doing anything. They're not, their defense has been off. Their decision making has been poor. The offense is clearly not working for them either. Although I feel like Matt Thomas could probably make the offense work. That's just me, but that's whatever. The lack of any sort of contribution from the dudes behind Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet in the guard and wing rotation is really, really troubling. And, you know, I think Norm has room to turn it around. He can't be any worse than he's been so far this year. That's kind of the case with everybody. There's just no way anybody is this bad at basketball. This is not the Knicks we're talking about, but maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe they're just broken. And the lack of 
extra help around and lack of Marcus Gasol setting up Norm Powell with perfect looks from the from the post and kickouts for three. Maybe that's severely hurting the ability for these other guys to succeed. Like, I, it feels like it's putting a lot on Gasol and Ibaka, though, to say, like, those guys being gone has caused this domino effect and everything else sucks because they're gone. I don't know how to explain it other than, you know, the Tampa stuff, obviously. And then I think the center rotation is, is amplified, and, and the poorness of the center play has been amplified by the fact that the Wings can't do anything either. It's just been a whole cycle of, you know, breakdown in the wing, center out of position, center has to foul, other team gets free throws, they shoot 28 free throws in a quarter, whatever it might be. It's just it, no one is feeding into one another, and that was the whole thing with the Raptors, is they feed into one another. Everything feeds the next thing. Every defensive rotation feeds the next defensive rotation. Every defensive stop feeds the offense, and so on and so forth. There's been no connectivity between any layer of the Raptors on offense or defense so far this year, and that's why you've seen basically like Fred Van Vliet have to go hero ball. It's worked okay. He's been quite good. He was awesome last night. He was ridiculously efficient. 35 points was the only offense the Raptors had for large stretches of the game. But there's just no cohesion. And it's just so jarring to see a Raptors team that is this like out of sorts, this away from being on the same page. They're just not even in the same book at this point. And that is troubling, and I think the wing and guard rotation on the bench is certainly playing into that, and the lack of any reliable options there is putting a lot of undue stress on every other element of the team. The number four thing in the power stankings, it is Pascal Siakam, I have to put him here. I think, you know, it it just, he has, I don't think he's been terrible the last couple of games, I think he's kind of figured some things out, he seems a little bit more eager to drive and sort of knows that when he puts his head down and really just gets to the rim, he can do it. A few pretty nice flourishes last night. Last night was his highest scoring at, uh, output of the game, uh, output of the season so far. Twenty-two points, seven to fifteen. Got to the line seven times. I did not think Pascal was bad in this game at all. Um, a little bit of the scoring was in garbage time, but even then, I thought he showed pretty good energy. Was kind of out there, but overall, you know, the the feeling, the dour mood of the team is in a lot of ways stemming from Pascal. And look. We talked off the top about the Tampa thing. If Pascal is still going through it mentally because of the situation, I totally sympathize, understand it's entirely justified. But, you know, the expectations I had of this team, the belief I had in this team to be a high seed in the East, you know, the playoffs, different story. I didn't think they were really cut out to make a deep, deep run. But I thought in the regular season, they would do the thing they do. They would win a ton of games. They would be fun and energetic and defense heavy, but also able to actually score. And Pascal being this out of sorts, Pascal not scoring in transition. Our pal Ben Thrifty uh, on Twitter last night made a point that, you know, the Raptors were always very much dependent on being effective in transition in addition to getting those transition opportunities. And they have been the worst team scoring in transition by efficiency this season so far. Pascal's obviously a huge part of that. So is Norm Powell, who's just been miserable. Um, they're not converting on those opportunities when they normally would. How many times have we seen a fast break where, you know, two guys get confused, they overpass it and they miss it, or there's a brick layup or there's a missed three, or there's just like a dude dribbling it off his foot. You know, Stanley Johnson last night, you know, doing the one good thing he does a night on defense and then earning himself more playing time, you know, gets a fast break opportunity, then kicks it out of bounds. Like they're not a well-oiled transition machine right now. And Pascal is a big part of that. And the half court, you know, Pascal's had his moments here and there, but you know, he's been too passive at times. He's overpassing as much as I think his playmaking this year has actually been very, very good. And it's been quite encouraging to see his passing. I think for the most part, it's just, there's not enough 
incorporation of Pascal, whether it's too much Fred with the ball in his hands, whether it's too much screen and roll with Baines, like they need to find other ways to get Pascal the ball here because if you don't have the best version of Pascal, you're never getting anything close to the best version of the Raptors. He's the best scorer on a team that has very little scoring. And if he is not doing what he did at the start of last season, this team is going to be in very, very tough to score with any team, let alone the Celtics when Jason Tatum is dropping 40 and Jalen Brown's hitting everything. So, Pascal, for sure. I, I don't know where it's gone wrong. I, I think it, it very clearly there's some sort of confidence in his head type thing stemming over from the bubble. I don't think it's been that bad this season comparatively. I think it's amplified by the fact that he's fouled out a couple times. He has um, you know, had one pretty poor game against Philly, which was really, really bad. The, the Pelicans game, you know, he had just 10 points. I didn't think he was like overly miserable. It's just the fouling out thing that was terrible. The fact that he sat the game clearly, you know, put the whole conversation into a higher scale of vision and view and focus. But for the most part, I think Pascal in at least half the games has been pretty good. The passing is nice, but he still needs to be better scoring. He needs to be more aggressive. He needs to be more assertive. He needs to finish around the rim. He needs to not be one of the worst finishers inside two-point range. I mean, this team is currently below 50% inside the arc, as was talked about in last night's postgame. That's not good enough, man. It's just not. It's rough. And Pascal has been uh, the source, the lightning rod of a lot of these issues, uh, these concerns and a lot of the criticism. But I don't think you can say it's been all Pascal. I think there's a lot of other things that are informing the Pascal stuff. And again, this goes to the fact that after the top four players on the team, three and a half, because OG's been you know hot and cold. His defense has been great. He can't shoot worth a lick right now. You know, beyond that top four that we kind of know, who have all been varying degrees of fine to good, there's just not a lot else in terms of help, and that is, again, seeping into every corner of the team right now. That does lead me into the next thing, which is uh, OG Ananobi, who I think is the uh, the number five reason why this team looks the way it does. We'll get to him in just a second, but first I want to tell everybody about our friends over at rockauto.com. They're back, baby, and they are still a family business who have been offering auto parts customers and serving auto parts customers for 20 years at rockauto.com you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers it's just really a wonderful intuitive site if you need parts for your car don't listen to the mechanic because they're probably going to sell you something for the highest possible price whereas rockauto.com they don't work that way they have everything from engine control modules brake parts tail lamps motor oil even new carpets whether it's for your classic or your daily driver get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and spend up to twice as much don't why spend up to twice as much that is for the exact same parts when you can get them for 50 percent off in a lot of cases at rockauto.com go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on and there how did you hear about us boxes though that we sent you as well amazing selection reliably low prices all the car parts you will ever need at rockauto.com the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
All right, so we move into the final two elements of the power tankings. I'm actually going to save the mailbag questions I got for another podcast later this week. Maybe I'll do a full mailbag uh, to close out the week as opposed to just one segment because the power stankings have gotten uh, gotten a little long. That's fine. We got two left. OG Ananobi is number five for me. I think OG has been excellent defensively. There's really very little to be bothered by there. A couple instances last night where he gave up cheap fouls to Tatum or, or Brown in and one situations. But overall, I think with the burden he's had defensively and the sort of knowledge that he needs to cover for centers who are not Marcus All anymore, you know, that is I'm pretty impressed with the way he's defended. That's that's been not a problem to me at all. The offense is obviously not coming along, and I think you know, we talked about this. I said this before he signed his extension when people were throwing around max figures and, oh, it's going to be like four and a hundred million, whatever it might be for, for OG just to keep him around. I always thought it was a little bit presumptive to just assume he was going to become this sort of max player. I still think there's a lot of potential in OG. I still think there's a year where there could be a leap at some point here, but he's clearly not got the handle just yet. He still looks very robotic, very unsure of himself. You know, there have been a few instances where he drives and kind of powers his way in because he's so damn strong, and then he's able to you know throw a drop-off pass or a nice kick-out, and those have been nice signs. He's up to two assists a game or so this year. I think his playmaking has been nice. It's just, who's he playmaking to? <laughs> it's like, all right, here, Norm Powell, catch this pass as you're standing in the corner as I've, you know, carved my way out and I'm in the paint, and then Norm Powell bricks it. it you know, what are you supposed to do there? I think OG offensively is just he's going to be a ways off even with the nice instances of playmaking here he doesn't have the handle he turns it over he kicks it off his foot he can't run a fast break and the three-point shooting I'm sure will snap back to something resembling his usual numbers but it's hard to say maybe the looks aren't as good maybe it's just it's a whole again every bad thing on this team seeping into one another and decaying those connective tissue points that they used to really pride themselves on. It used to be the power source of the team. You know, OG's not connected to anything right now. He doesn't feel like he's a part of the offense necessarily. You know, he's, you know, getting open for open threes and things like that. We haven't seen him do his patented baseline cuts and there's not been any connection there. You know, not having a big who can throw those passes is is a problem. And I, I think, honestly, to go back to problem number two at center, and problem number five right now with OG, I think we maybe just need to see more OG at the five. And he's been really good in that situation. He's a very good screener. He's good on the roll. He's good at surveying on the short roll. I think that's maybe a solution to fill in and at least get some good minutes at center. We haven't seen a ton of it so far. But for me, that's kind of the option that you have left. If Baines is going to be this much of a zero and Len's going to give you maybe 10 minutes of nice play and most of the time be a little bit out of his depth, and Boucher, who is like a significantly less physically imposing person than OG is, if they're not going to give you those good center minutes, you got to find them somewhere. And I feel like OG might be able to do it. And if you can configure some lineups where, you know, maybe it involves getting big. Maybe you play OG at the five as your nominal center. You slide Pascal up to the three. You put Boucher at the four. Maybe that gives you enough beef up front to rebound and, and solve the rebounding issues that have been there while also giving you an actual viable center who can do center things and actually make things happen in those situations as opposed to just kind of being out there to set screens and hopefully grab rebounds but probably not grab them at all at this point. So that's that's something to keep an eye on. I, I think expecting OG to make this like most improved player level style leap, it's just not there for him right now. Maybe it comes over the course of the season. We see some sort of mid-season switch flip on. 
but the handle's not there. The shooting, the pull-up, you know, the, just the general repertoire of skills you need to be an on-ball threat is just not there for him at more than a secondary tertiary basis right now. And so that, to me, you know, when we were talking about earning back what you were going to lose from Ibaka and Gasol, we were baking in the expectation of substantial growth from Fred Van Vliet, from Pascal Siakam, from OG Ananobi. And if Ananobi is going to be what he's been so far this year, which is a fine role player, there's nothing wrong with 12-2-7 and seven, and a couple you know steals, blocks here and there. I mean, lots of blocks and steals, frankly. But you know th- that's just a very good role player. That's not someone who can help raise your ceiling. That's, uh, that's, that's a floor guy, and the team right now is such a low floor because of how everything is transpiring and how poorly everybody's playing that you know a low floor setter, uh, you know, a nice floor setter doesn't matter all that much. And he's just not doing anything to lift that ceiling and make this a more dynamic offensive team. And again, it could come, but it doesn't look like it's ready to come just yet. And he's still 23. There's still time. But this season seems like maybe not the one where OG is going to become this offensive weapon that we all hoped he might be. And then we get to the final thing of the power stankings, the reasons why the Raptors stink so far. And honestly, I think Nick Nurse needs to shoulder some blame here. Look, I I think... Blaming coaches is always the easiest thing in the world to do. It's very easy to just like, hey, the coach did this thing wrong, and this is how I would do it because I'm the smart basketball knower. But I do wonder if maybe the constant like flamethrower <laughs> approach from Nick Nurse, which worked so well last year with guys like Ronda Hollis Jefferson and Stanley Johnson, who you know he he famously called out and said these guys aren't defending well enough. You know, I think there's a bit of a difference, though, in what he's doing this year when it comes to Matt Thomas and Redacted and Malachi Flynn last night and Norm Powell, is that those guys also offer things, typically, more than just defense. Like, if Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Stan Johnson weren't offering defense last year, which was Nurse's complaint, they weren't offering you anything. And so you kind of had to whip those guys into gear. When it comes to Thomas and Flynn and redacted and all these guys yes their defense has been bad but also until last night the defense was not the problem for this team you know nurse is going on and on before last night's game about how stanley johnson just has to play because of his defense whereas you know the raptors are the number five defense in the league so far going into last night they're now uh somewhere outside the top 10 because they fell pretty substantially um but they you know they were defending at a better points per possession mark than they were all of last season, that when they were the number two defense in the league, they were incredible to start this season. Frankly, they were number, they're number five in the league, one hundred four point three allowed going into last night. Small sample weirdness and all that, but the defense was far from the issue. It was the offense that was barely better than the Thunder that was the big concern. And I, I just, it seemed like misdirected anger and vitriol towards the bench guards who do offer some offensive upside if given the chance, if put in the right situations. Either way. You know, the criticism is fair. Those guys have been bad from all perspectives. You know, I understand the criticism, but I do wonder if, like, considering the circumstances, considering the Tampa Bay factor, considering everybody's out of their element and the situation is extreme, if maybe a little bit more of a deft touch from Nurse could be useful here and just, like, not always being the hard ass who's screaming for only defense and defense only and, like, getting horny for the idea of holding a team to under 50 points in a game while scoring 52 yourself. Like, it's... It just feels like a bit of misdirected blame from Nurse. And I think for him to come out and be like that effusive in his disparaging of Flynn's game and Davis and Thomas and the whole crew, 
I, it just, I wonder if that messaging is going to wear thin in a season where I'm sure everybody's emotions are frayed. I'm sure everybody is tired. Everyone's exhausted. Everyone is sick of the situation. They want to be back home. They have Celtics fans screaming for Taco Fall in the third quarter of what's supposed to be a home game. It's just, it's such a bad vibes situation that I wonder if Nurse's thing that we love from him, his honesty, his ability to call guys out and ask for more and sometimes more often than not get it. Maybe if it's just a, a little misplaced in this current situation. I don't know. He also, uh, we haven't seen a lot in terms of offensive innovation. That's a Chris Finch thing, I guess. If Nurse is just going to hand over the keys there, maybe it takes time to install a new offense. Maybe that's been part of the problem. Maybe that's why things have been so haphazard in the half court so far. But we also knew the half court was going to be an issue coming in. It's not like these are new problems. You would think that hopefully some of the problems would be addressed by the new offense. And we haven't seen that kick in just yet. Again, tough to pinpoint where the responsibility lies there, but we haven't seen a lot of innovation there. Nurse is great at innovating on defense. We haven't seen a ton of creativity when it comes to the offense. And when you don't have a collection of guys at all times who can make the reads and be the coach on the floor for you, and you don't have Mark Gasol out there slinging passes to open guys and just ready, well-adjusted adult basketball players on the floor, your coaching is going to become more an important thing. And you have to more script things and be more plotting and plan. And you're, if you're just going to run with the same system that they've run with for two years when they had a championship-level team and a 60-win team of just absolute badasses last year that could run their own show, it just feels like maybe the coaching is kind of letting the offense down a little bit here. There's not enough pick-and-roll with Siakam, for example. There's They're going to a lot of things that just don't tend to work. There's a lot of Fred with the ball in his hands, all the time, and there's nothing wrong if Fred's going to be scoring 35 in a game, but he's also had a few very inefficient nights that have contributed to things, and you're taking the ball to Kyle Lowry's hands, who tends to run things pretty flawlessly. You're taking the ball to Siakam's hands, who a lot of the times when he looks his best, it's when he's got a head of steam going downhill as a ball handler, even if his handle can be shaky here and there. They're just not doing enough right now to make things easier on a team that has nothing easy at the moment, and so... I don't think you can say Nurse is entirely blameless here. I mean, he's kind of charmed. He's got two years where he's won a championship and a coach of the year. Obviously, you give him the benefit of the doubt. He's clearly a very good coach, and I'm sure there will be some things that are figured out here. But so far, I think he's been pretty disappointing in the way he's kind of managed the whole situation and continues to just, like, lambaste dudes who maybe could just use some tender love and care. I don't know. Maybe that's a softy side of me coming out, but... It feels like maybe that's what's called for in this particular instance. Anyway, this has been a long podcast. There's a lot of problems with this team. <laughs> it's a very uh, Frank Costanza got a lot of problems with you people type of situation here. There's no one culprit that is responsible for everything unless you want to say it's all Tampa, which I think is a fair thing to say. This Western trip is going to be difficult. They play the Suns on Wednesday. The Suns look awesome. And, you know, talk about cohesion. I mean, that team just makes sense every position on the floor. It all works together. Everything feeds one another. That's not a thing that exists on this Raptors team right now. And if they don't find it, we're looking at a lottery team. <laughs> and I guess there are worst years to be in the lottery. This is supposed to be an absurd draft. Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, you know, there seems to be quite a collection of very exciting players. And we might have to dive into that as the season goes on if things continue this way. I still think it's far too early to spiral into full-on lottery mode, full-on tank mode, full-on trade Kyle Lowry mode. We'll cross those bridges if and when they need to be crossed. 
there's still, to me, enough here, enough infrastructure, enough untapped talent and potential that has just not been displayed so far this season that I, I think it'll come around. And I don't think they're going to be this one in five embarrassment that is an absolute drag to watch. I think they will become more fun to watch at some point here. But it's getting time in a shortened season, just 72 games, you know, six games in. It doesn't seem like a lot, but 12 games. Oh, well, okay, we're a fifth or a sixth done the season. And that time is going to come pretty quickly here. I, I talked in the first week of the season, like talk to me in three weeks. I mean, we're a week and a half, two weeks in now. So we're not too far away from maybe kind of having our answer as to whether or not this team is actually just bad. And it's it sucks, man. <laughs> I don't want to go back to the dark days. I don't want to go back to watching Jarrett Jack and talking yourself into Sonny Weems. You know, I think they're well beyond that now. And you want the taste of being successful and good. And, you know, tanking, as much as tanking can be fun, if you end up doing it absolutely perfectly, a lot of the times you tank, you become the magic. And you suck for a very, very long time. So there's no guarantees here, and the best solution for the Raptors is to just stop sucking right now and figure it out. And again, I think they have the pieces, I think they have the the coaching, I think they have the sort of foundation to be something passable here, but maybe they're just irreparably broken by this Tampa thing. Maybe it's just not salvageable, and if that's the case, it's going to be a long year. Anyway, that's going to do it. Uh, again, thank you for all the support. Tell a friend about the show. It's uh, it's always appreciated when you go ahead and do that. I'll be back again on Wednesday. Katie Heindel's going to join me. We are going to talk about the vibes on this team, the very, very sad blue vibes, and uh, maybe try to concoct some solutions. Maybe not. Maybe we'll just uh, sit and stew in, in the sadness of it all. Who knows? That's coming up tomorrow, though, with Katie Heindel. Uh, again, I'll divert the mailbag questions I got for this one to a later mailbag uh, near the end of the week, probably. And that will be what we got for you. Thank you so much. We will talk to you again on Wednesday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Now go and check out part one of our Locked On NHL season preview specials previewing the Canadian division. Go and listen. Thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.